Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Dennis and Marlene Grant at Parrot Mountain Cellars. It's May 20th, 2021. Uh, thank you both so much for joining us today. Uh, first question to get us started is why wine? That's a great question. Uh, thank you guys for being here. We, um, Marlene and I both um, enjoy wine. We um, enjoyed the Pinot Noir in the, in the area and in the 80s, um, late 80s, when we started uh, doing some wine touring out here and visiting some of the wineries, um, we really enjoyed all of the Pinot Noir. So our first introduction to the Yamhill County, living in Newburgh, and and the area was the Pinot Noirs um, all around the Red Hills and and the area. And um, from there, we we just kind of continued uh, to enjoy it until maybe 2010 when we uh, talked about um, uh, how much we enjoyed big reds. And we noticed that um, there weren't a lot of big reds in the area and, and thought maybe there was an opportunity for us to learn about wine and, and, um, and that's how we got into winemaking. Um, Talking about the, well, we'll come back to that in a second. Actually, talk mm-hmm. about your background before wine. So, what, what what were you doing before getting into the wine business? Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've always been in sales and marketing, many many years. My background's as an engineer. Uh, I grew up in Northern California in Sonoma County, wine country, mm-hmm. and um, and ended up uh, doing some um, engineering down there prior to moving up here. And, Included some winery design uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s. But up here, it's all been high tech, um, the majority of it. High tech design of facilities for chip manufacturers all around the world. Interesting. Wine, winery design in the 1970s in California. It must have been interesting. What was, what was that like? That was fantastic, yeah. It was a um, huge amount of growth. Um, and um, my, my contribution to it was as a drafter while I was going to school and getting a degree in mechanical engineering. And then um, hired on after college for a, a little over a year to do some design. And um, yeah, it was very interesting to see who the different people who were building wineries in the area down there and all the different types of, of wineries that were being built. Mostly big reds and chardonnays, and yeah. And how did the two of you meet? Um, we met in a, a company bowling league. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Yes, he was a friend of an employee that worked for me, um, and that's kind of how we met. Yeah. And that was bowling. In California. No, that was in Portland. Beaverton. In Beaverton. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Thirty, almost thirty-four years ago. Yeah. So what brought you to this area? What brought you to the Newburgh area and kind of started your, started your discovery of Pinot Noir? 
Well, we, st we lived in Lake Oswego after we got married and uh, wanted property, started looking out in this area and um, looking for 15, 20 acres. We ended up finding this 11 acre parcel um, in 1992 and um, built our home and that's kind of how we got out in this area. There weren't a lot of houses in, in the, on the Parrot Mountain Hill when we started here, so. Yeah, hard to believe we've been here 30 years. Yeah, 30 years on this property. Gravel road, all of that kind of stuff. And not a lot of wineries, I imagine, around at that point yet. Not oh, the, no. Not the small ones, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's changed quite a bit. The amount of vineyards. Um, are, we have a view now looking across at Shehalem that, that where we get to uh, look at some of the beautiful vineyards over on the hills. And hazelnuts. Yep, <laughs> yeah. yep, and hazelnuts. So you mentioned um, kind of enjoying wine and kind of enjoy, enjoying Pinot Noir. Tell me about sort of learning about wine. Talk about the, the education process, learning both about wine and kind of developing your palate over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, so we started um, in, in 2010 um, with an amateur wine group. Um, the Portland Wine, it's called now the Portland Winemakers Club, but it was the West Side Wine Club at that time. Um, and Dennis could tell you a little more about how we found them. It was kind of an interesting story yeah. on finding them. We were, um, one of our uh, close friends, we were um, meeting in downtown Newburgh at uh, a facility and, and had asked if there was somebody we could, we could talk to about making reds, big red wines, because we talked about it, the three of us, about making big red wines. And, and it was something um, where it was just a happenstance that a, a nice couple came in at the same time I was asking and uh, said, hey, would you help, help us? We bought a bottle and sat out and, and talked to them for an hour, and they introduced us to a gentleman um, in that amateur wine club who took us under his wing and has helped us uh, tremendously. He's a good close friend now in that learning process and with that club it was fantastic it was um, we took on the approach of uh, of going at it a little bit more than carboys we we started with half barrels and then doubled every year so that's been our business model not because we needed a business model but just if we were any good at it and we liked it you know maybe maybe it would be something fun to do together you know in our twilight years here <laughs> if, if you could say that yeah uh, prior to that, our, um, our, our uh, love of wine and was, was primarily focused on, you know, tasting and supporting the, the local community, trying to keep up with the growth, visiting the different wineries and talking to them. It was fun to watch Lang come out of his garage and, and grow and all the different wineries um, through the Soko Blosser era when they had the concerts and, and um, to see all the different different wineries explode. So making Big Reds was, was kind of something we thought that would be fun. And we thought with the weather and the way things are warming up, um, there was obviously a trend. And the amount of planting around us um, was increasing in terms of a little bit bigger, more bold reds uh, in this local area. So we thought, well, that would be fun to do. So. That's how we did it, and our palates um, developed. Um, we're, you know, this is always a learning activity, and um, your palate is, uh, and connecting your brain to your what you're tasting and smelling is the 
is fun and kind of the enjoyment that we get out of it. It's a suggestive kind of um, suggestive type of uh, of industry of, of product tasting wine and and so it's always learning mm -hmm. and that's part we love. So when you got started with the with the making process, and you thought it you thought it would be fun. I'm curious about sort of your initial impressions of actually making wine. Was it what you expected, and, and if not, what was different than you expected? Um, I had no idea um, at all, so it was just a learning curve for both of us. But um, um, we did a lot of hands-on with some other wineries. So we have uh, this industry is so great where there's people that. You can call any other winemaker and they're so welcome to give you information about making wine or the, the problem you may have or the, any question. Um, so we were hands-on with some of the, a couple other wineries before we, um, during that time we were in the amateur wine group. Um, so that seemed to work out really Helping well. Helping with and, the crushing yeah. and the bottling. And Learning the different stages of the production. Right? And then lots of reading, lots and lots of reading. Lots of books. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was a fun. I thought I knew a little bit about um, how to organize the wineries from a design perspective and how they could go together, but nothing to do with making the art and the science and the blend of the two. Uh, we, we learned a lot of that from reading and, and, and that wine club and the relationships we built there, which we still maintain to this day. So the focus on big reds is that from the beginning is an interesting one. I'm curious about when you got started, where were you looking for fruit and, and was there a certain type of, of, of big red you were looking for? Um, the wine, the um, amateur wine club actually had contacts for grapes. So, you know, we had that uh, ability to, to buy in bulk, kind of, you know, everybody was putting their order together. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of how we got to know some of the vineyards and some of them we still work with today mm -hmm. 10 years later we're still um, buying from those same vineyards what was interesting was we kind of stayed outside of that ordering process with the wine club only because we thought our order sizes were going to be bigger we kind of predicted they started needing to have our own <laughs> relationships with the with the suppliers and the vineyard owners so we didn't have our own vineyard at that time we re more recently in the last six years now have our own little vineyard up on the hill where we can grow Pinot and uh, which is fun um, but um, yeah we built relationships from scratch with uh, those those different uh, wine growers that are out there like coming from California I had a, a passion for Zinfandel that's that was my that is my my go-to wine that I like we happened to find a supplier who's got grape clippings from a from a vineyard in Healdsburg, about a mile from where I was raised. He planted in Washington, and so we get our fruit. It's the same fruit that I grew up with. So, 34-year-old vines that are—it's fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, small world. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Besides that, what are the other varietals you've worked with, and what, what, are there anything you haven't worked with yet that you're looking forward to? Um, we do about 15 different varietals each year. Um, four whites, three to four whites, um, two pinots, and the rest are big reds. Um, 
It's quite a few big you know, reds. And in the first four or five years, we didn't even make a Pinot or a white wine. It was like, you know, this is not what we want to make, but there are people that wanted it, so we kind of changed our grouping there. But we're doing um, Sangiovese, Tempranillo, Cab Franc, Malbec, um, Petite Syrah, Syrah, Cab Sauve, Barbera, um, Barbera. Aqua Noir, Zinfandel. <laughs> so the, those are the big reds. Nibiola is one I'd like to to get to if we can if we can get there. But we're pretty maxed out at three or four tons per varietal. Is kind of where we're at. Um, we we sit at about 3,500 cases a year, which is about the where we our facility and kind of our throughput is. Just almost just right, almost Goldilocks. <laughs> but there's always wanting to try a little something different. Tell me about the, the space here. You mentioned you put the vineyard in. Obviously, we're in your, your beautiful tasting room here. Tell me about the, the evolution of that and, and of finding customers, especially in the early days as you were getting started. Mm -hmm. um, so we, our winery is up close to our home, which is on the other side of the property that we've expanded twice. Um, to get to where we're at today. Um, when we first started, got licensed in 2011 to start making wine, we um, were doing a lot of outside wine events. So the Portland Seafood and Wine Festival, Newport, Astoria, you know, those kind of places, the SIP. Um, we were doing a lot of those type events to sell our wine. Um, started building our wine club and in 2000, what, what year was it here? 2017, we started talking about yeah. doing a tasting room. and um, Well, 2016, we won the best of the bite of Oregon Pinot Noir. Which was weird since we specialized in the big reds, but hey, you know, we were going to It's a big Pinot, right? So <laughs> it kind of comes out like big reds. So at that time, the judges liked that one. Um, that's when we determined, you know, maybe um, this hitting the road and the road show is a little overwhelming. It's a lot, it's of, a work. lot of work. And we had this part of the property, and that's when we decided, let's take a look. I think it was Marlene's idea. Why don't we take a look at putting a tasting room down here? And that's when we came down and and decided to um, to work on putting a tasting room in and see what that's about, and mm -hmm. and then get the design going and build it. So we've been here a two and a half years. This tasting room. We have a a pretty good capacity. As we a, uh, mm -hmm. we had a friend that was a retired architect that did the concept on the building. Um, Dennis mm -hmm. did most of the design of the. He built the all the bar and a lot of the um, did a lot of the design on the building, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of cool too. A lot of the wood that you find on our property, maple, cedar, and fir, we used here in the building. Um, so we, the trees we took down. We had a guy out of Newburgh do uh, mill the wood, um, and a 140-foot cedar tree that we did off one side of the property, um, he milled that we sided the whole outside of the building with. Um, there's a bar. The first bar that you come in is part of that cedar tree, and then the tree in the middle of the building is the top 28 feet of that tree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That cedar gave its all. And the, and the Parrot Mountain sign in the front of the building, the base of that sign is the base of that cedar tree. Um, yeah, and then the fir and the maple we used on both wrapping 
trusses and posts in the building and bars and our mantle. Um, so it was kind of cool to incorporate that wood in, in the building. Sustainable. Mm -hmm. That was our sustainable contribution. <laughs> that and we built our subterranean case storage area, right? So it doesn't require any additional cooling. So we just use the ground to keep it cool, which makes sense. You talked about one of the things that was important to you was building those relationships with vineyards individually, or I mean, as a group here. Uh, tell me about what you were looking for in a vineyard relationship and, and how you do go about building something like that from scratch. Oh, good question. The, um, the handshake uh, relationship, it's a, like Marlene said, it's a great industry. Um, we have seven relationships basically every year that we've had for seven or eight years now and of different vineyards um, for all those varietals Marlene described. We, <clears throat> we have a number of them. Um, half in Oregon, maybe more than half, five of them in Oregon and a couple in, in uh, the Columbia Valley. And, and they're all personal, same folks we've dealt with from day one, kind of relationships where <clears throat> comes April, we um, start talking about our, our next, what, what we're thinking of, of purchasing and very few contracts. We might have one contract. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, one of the suppliers, we cut 20 tons of grapes and it's, it's a handshake. Um, so that's been fun. Everybody um, allows us the opportunity to, to help decide and determine when we'd like to have the grapes picked. And that's, you know, they almost know better than we do, of course. We're not, we're not the farmers, right? So we work with them. So that relationship requires a bit of trust, right? So that um, we're getting the quality of grapes from them that we'd like to have. And, um, and the timing of it is always fun. One year we had them all come in pretty close to the same time. So yeah. we're pretty busy. So of course we scaled uh, after that for the following year, improving our equipment a little bit. So it was a... Uh, and borrowing from other wineries, like, oh, hey, yeah. do you have a couple extra totes we can and, borrow or whatever? Yeah, yeah. And wine club members. <laughs> we created a club early on in 13 or so. <clears throat> and, um, and having folks come volunteer a little bit is how we started, mm -hmm. um, which is a blast, you know. Folks love it, love to see it's it and come experience. out and help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so balancing the, the growth with uh, the demand, keeping our supply and our demand. We're a two-year process for our reds. Mm -hmm. We keep it in barrel for two years. We find that's kind of the sweet spot for the way, we, the style of wines we make. We try and hit 20, 25% oak, new oak. That's where we are. So, and then every year we learn a little bit more and more about, about how to um, improve. But we've tried to hold those varietals, I think, pretty constant. The ones, yeah. right, for the last four years we've had those. And sometimes, you know, a year might be such that it's a not a great crop. Last year we had some issues with the Pinot, of course, in the valley. It was down, the production. And so, you know, you go with the flow. <clears throat> you never know what, how, what varietal might sell out first or second or... And we've always done um, whole varietal, so we weren't doing red blends at all until 
just a few years ago. Yeah. Um, so you could always count on getting 100% Cab Franc or Barbera or whatever it is. Um, in the last few years, um, our blends have been very popular. So each year now we're doing one red blend. Um, and our wine club members are waiting for it. Yeah. That was part of our strategy was to hone our, our technique and our how we were making our wines to try and improve our quality on the individual varietals. So if you get too crazy and starting to blend too early, we were worried that we wouldn't really track what what and how we were making each of our varietals. And so we got that a little bit stable and then We've probably made a couple of um, a couple of blends so far too. Yeah. We're getting ready to do our third one here shortly. So that's fine. Mixes like that. And we've done things like uh, fermented them separately and then co-fermented to see how that is going to change the flavor profile. And mm -hmm. so just learning. You were a little ahead of the curve on the kind of the big red trend, I think, in Oregon. I'm, I'm curious about, especially early on. Uh, what was the consumer reaction to your wines and to your, to your kind of brand identity, I guess? <laughs> yeah, it didn't take long. Um, it no, took, it didn't uh, at all. It was a lot faster than our ability to name ourselves. Uh, coming up with a name for our, our, we went round and round of our last names and our first names and the kids' names, and we did that whole game for a year or two. <laughs> Just thinking about it, right? And then it was like, well, our identity is, is kind of a little bit more where we're located, and that's why we did Parrot Mountain Cellars, because um, having a, a tasting room and a winery up in the trees, you know, it's it's um, not as obvious as being out in a vineyard area, and um, and we predicted the growth on the hill and in the and surrounding areas. So, and doing big reds in Pinot country, I mean. There are people that just, yeah. are, you know, they like the Pinot, but can really go for that Cab Franc, and they were having to drive to Hood River to get it. Yeah. So. And there was a seven-year cycle. We identified a, a trends, some trends that come from Northern California or Southern California. It takes a while for the cycles to move around. I watched it move from Napa to Sonoma, to Paso Robles and Amador County, and and they they kind of move around, and so you track some of those. And um, so that's why we didn't open up. That's another reason why we didn't open up blends too soon. It was like, let's wait and, and get folks accustomed to the big red stuff. And then, uh, and you're right, when we started, there weren't, there weren't many big reds out here. And we knew that. And um, it's fun to but work we, with them. Yeah, we made what we like to drink. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, if there's a varietal that we're not making, it's because it's not really one that we prefer to have ourselves so what we have here are our favorites yeah we also weren't sure if we were going to tick off all of the pinot makers in the area <laughs> so we don't make pinot because we don't want to tick them off we we do like pinot noir um it's and it's we're, that's why we're trying to grow it here at altitude the warmer weather's allowed this our little vineyard to produce nicely uh, but we're at about a thousand feet on a north facing slope so it's a bit challenging, but um, we'll have another. This year we had, um, I think we had a limited production of rosé that we did off of our vineyard. We'll do another rosé this year, maybe, or maybe we'll do some pinot, I don't know. 
wait and see how the grapes come it. out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. After a long time as, as wine consumers, I'm curious about once you had something in bottle to present to to, to consumers, uh, what's how do you handle the reaction from someone when it's finally your name on the bottle or your brand on the bottle? Uh, how did you handle when people didn't like it, or when people you know had had questions for you that were that were strange? I'm curious about from that perspective. After after so long um, drinking wine, what was it like having the product? Well, um, I think everybody has their own flavor palette. I mean, there's some wines I don't like, and um, I can tell them everything about that wine because we've made the wine. You know, we're the winemakers which I think people appreciate because a lot of times they go into a tasting room and never see the owner nor the winemaker. And we're here every day. So, um, and we were then too. We were the ones selling the wine. We didn't have a staff selling the wine. We were selling it. Um, so I th just think people that are gonna either like it or not for their own reasons, we would never sell a wine that we wouldn't drink. So it would never have been, you know, in a glass for a consumer to, to taste. Surprising that we didn't have that many boo-boos along the way. Uh, I mean, you we know, when really you're making, did, we didn't make many boo-boos. Um, we had a Sangiovese back in 2013 or 12 or 13 or something that went sideways on us a little bit, you know, <clears throat> and that wasn't good. It wasn't that much though, because yeah. at that time we weren't making, you know, 600 gallons of it, so yeah. it was it was wasn't that bad. But. but that's been about it. We've been careful, and we spend a lot of time in our process to be careful as we're making our wine, um, sanitation and and um, cleanliness. Uh, we've spent a lot of effort on that, and frankly, uh, thanks to our our mentor who um, helped us, taught us that in his in his winemaking. Yeah. Um, so we've adopted some of those types of techniques to, to make sure we don't introduce any kind of issues into the process. But people, um, for the most part, I'm trying to think of how many times I've had somebody go wrinkle our nose and go, I don't like that. Um, probably five times in the it doesn't six, hurt our seven or eight all, years. Like said, it's not very many yeah. times. Um, so that's an interesting one. More, more often than not, um, People, I really like that one, you know. Yeah. And they like it, they just don't like it as much as they like something else. Yeah. It's like a dry wine or a sweet wine. I mean, you know, there people like dry wines, don't like sweet wines. Yeah. Most of what we make are dry. We have a, a little bit sweeter on the white side. We'll have one that's a little off dry, usually. So you mentioned your process there. Tell me a little bit about the sort of the winemaking process and, and, and style here and, and the sort of philosophy behind it. What, what do you want the wines to represent? Well, um, I, th I think the number one thing is for the varietals to stand on their own, <clears throat> to represent the, the fruit the best way we can, right? We've all heard the, you, can, you can't do anything but screw up the fruit from the time it's picked. And um, that's true. So we do a, we spend a fair amount of time trying to make our wines um, uh, exactly represent the the grape itself. And if the wine represents and the grape itself, then um, um, it it um, 
easy for us to target um, the characteristics that we're familiar with now that we've created some of those, the trends. We, we kind of know what we would like to have from the wine. Higher acid wines like Barbera and Malbec um, and even some of the Syrah, um, they, they have a little higher acid and that's normal. We would expect the, the more mouthfeel in the Zins and Cabs and Cab Francs and Cab Sauv, you know, Cab Sauv. Um, Petite Syrah is just going to make your teeth purple and that's just going to be how it is. So the different styles of wines is what we, we push for, um, trying to get the kind of a style that we like. I mentioned the oak profile. Um, yeah. We find that to be, we're actually, we didn't believe that people could identify the different oak barrels that were used in the winemaking process when we first started going to the wine, uh, amateur wine club. A couple of gentlemen there that were phenomenal, um, right? And, and would, would, during the, 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 the paper bag wine tasting, when we do comparisons, um, they could identify that it was a certain French oak barrel. I didn't believe that. I can believe it now. Even the varietal, the varietal, yeah. the residual sugar. I mean, there's a lot of factors that yeah. these guys could. We learned a lot. We've learned a lot from that. from that. But getting to where you can identify an oak barrel, the type of oak and how much oak through just, just tasting a, a wine, that's, that's phenomenal. So we enjoyed that. And I think we d the reason the 25% oak or less too is because we want the fruit to shine through and not yeah. to have a whole bunch of oak um, in, from the nose to the, to the flavors that you're getting yeah. from that varietal. And the big reds tend to handle it, the more mature reds mm -hmm. handle the bigger, the, a bit more oak. So it's fun. I assume with some of the, you're, you're running into some consumers who are unfamiliar with some or, or many of your varietals or at least unfamiliar with what they're supposed to taste like. Tell me about your role as consumer educators here and, and how that has evolved as your education has evolved. Um, we do on all of our tasting um, information, we always kind of give a description of, you know, what the description is of that wine. Um, and then we just like to talk about what we get from it. The notes that we have here are flavors that we get and the, the, from the wine rather than, you know, the book because they're all different. Yeah. Yeah. So we go through every year and, and write up our, our tasting notes for each of the wines as we get them bottled, um, which is fun because that means we get to taste everything after we bottle them. It's the best part, quality control. And some years are a little different just because the grape comes out a little different, whether it's drier or warmer weather or more water or less water, or lots of factors. That's what we've noticed, I think, in this whole winemaking process is how many variables there are. Seriously, it's um, um, one person's, I mean, look at all the Pinot Noirs that are so different. And so, it's, so that's been fun, learning that. Teaching folks. Um, having them pronounce Sangiovese. Um, or Tempranillo. Or Tempranillo. <laughs> we get, uh, it's, it's fun. And interacting with people is probably the best. That's the most enjoyment. Marlene's very good at it and loves it. I do too. And our staff are good at it. And, great staff. And uh, people tend to appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And talking about and explaining. But 
leaving them alone and giving them privacy. Yeah, I think one of the experiences that we have found just by going out to other wineries is um, it's either a wine experience where you want to hear all that information and there's other times when you're right in the middle of a conversation with your, you know, your friends and then you get interrupted by somebody that wants to tell you about the next wine. Um, we don't do that. So we give all the information to the guests with all their tasting flight at one time um, and then just you know, go over everything at the beginning and then kind of walk away and let them enjoy their friends and the wine and the experience with the information we've given them all written and then just pop by every once in a while to see do you have any questions about the wines mm -hmm. no and then walk away so it's more of a enjoyment rather than being interrupted yeah. and or waiting for the wine to the you know here's your taste and then 20 minutes later you get the next one we provide all the wine all at one time um, so that they can do it at their own pace and I, found I love it because I, yeah. I get to kind of flutter in whenever I want, kind of walk through, and somebody will ask me to come over and talk yeah. to them, wine club member or somebody. Mm -hmm. And so that is a little more for us. It's, that's and the perfect. guests, we've asked the guests, and they do prefer it that way. So mm -hmm. I think so we're. That's what we do. That's what we're doing. But it is a people business. That's fun. So you mentioned the kind of the process of designing the tasting room here. Mm -hmm. I, I'm curious with it, what 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 options has that given you in terms of, of use of this space, uh, and what as you look forward with the space, what do you hope to do with it in the future? Um, well, we use the space not just for tasting room, but for private events. So we've done weddings and receptions and birthdays and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's been uh, we're kind of selective on that too. I mean, we don't book it out every night or every weekend. Um, We've had fantastic support from yeah. local industries who've had, you know, dinners and mm -hmm. and recurring type dinners and things. So that's been uh, fun to build those relationships with the businesses. Um, and that was always the plan to have it be um, be able to you know, use it and. Uh, let people enjoy it. We've developed the outside area, of course, with the COVID. Mm -hmm. um, the building always had some, from the beginning, initial design from our initial designer who, who was great in putting the, the facility's style together, was kind of set up for being separated. Um, and so uh, having a fair amount of outside seating and space uh, allowed us to kind of get through the whole issue with uh, the pandemic. It saved us. Yeah. It really saved us. And then outside. adding outside space um, and, um, and just um, leveraging both uh, for us has been, has been good. Parking, um, we had to expand our parking area um, just because, you know, uh, as, as not having a reservations as a requirement. Um, yeah, in the summer we get we get pretty full, so we can handle up to about 50, 50 vehicles, and that's about the limit. Um, we've we've kind of pushed every everywhere, and <laughs> we'll be paving. Without taking out another tree, I think we're, we're going to pave the, the parking lot in a couple of weeks, um, so that'll help um, with the folks with the fancy cars that come up. 
Yeah. It's, it's part of the joy of wine country, though. Yes. You can have gravel roads. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. You just don't want them to have to get stuck coming up the hill on the spinning out on the gravel. Yeah. So as you as you have uh, as you've grown, I'm curious. Uh, in addition to the to direct to consumer stuff, how else do you market now that you're not doing events as much or not doing outside events as much anymore? How have you marketed and how have you seen the brand grow over the years? Um, I think uh, not too much marketing other than what we do with, you know, emails and it's pretty much word of mouth. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we get a lot of wine club members that bring friends and they join or they come back and bring more friends. So it's been more word of mouth than anything. And we occasionally will submit some of our wines to wine competitions um, and then people hear from us, on, you know, on that. Um, another thing too is we, there's a lot of great wineries around us that refer us because somebody will mention, gosh, I'd sure like to taste a Cab Sauv. Oh, go over to Parrot Mountain. Um, and we do, you know, reciprocate with that too. We're always referring people to other wineries in the area. So that's kind of how we market ourselves. And it's, it hasn't been a blitz. It hasn't been using outside uh, distributors because of our growth model, it, um, it's it's um, it's been a steady growth curve, and we don't want to get so big because I mean, frankly, we we have a facility in a location here that we can, we have a maximum capacity, and so we're not quite there yet, but but we're on our tr on our way there. So Marlene's we done a great job with the wine club in growing that, and we sell all our wine right here. If it's not from wine club, it's in the tasting room. Yeah, um, there's only a couple re local restaurants. Yeah. that even have our wine in it. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned the, the, the pandemic. I want to ask about 2020 a little bit. So um, just curious about sort of initial response to an, an effect from, from last year, from last March and the, and the COVID shutdown and, and sort of how you did pivot last year to make, to make last year work. And as you're coming out of it, what, you're, what you see for the sort of the immediate future here. Um, our wine club members really supported us during that time, That's the when, especially one time. when we were closed. Um, yeah. I mean, people were sitting at home wanting a glass of wine, and so we were selling a lot of wine even though we weren't open. Um, you know, and, drive up. Yeah. It was amazing. We, we posted to our folks, you know, we'll be happy to set up a, a drive up, and, and we, so we adapted to that. And everybody, it was amazing how, how supportive folks were. Yeah, our numbers are good this year, and we're, we're growing. People um, like that we don't take reservations, where most of the, the valley, they are taking reservations. Um, we, we did had, during the pandemic, we did. Yeah, for like two months, just yeah. because we were down to that high risk or extreme risk, yeah. um, where we only had five tables on the patio kind of thing. <laughs> Um, we had to pivot that way, but yeah, we don't take reservations anymore. And it's made a big difference. People want to walk in. They don't want to have to know that they have to be somewhere at a certain time. Um, yeah, so I think that was, and we're growing. People like it here. They mm -hmm. like all the outdoor area. So even if they're uncomfortable with COVID, they could be out there and, and be on their own. You also mentioned sort of the, the other issue of 2020, the, the fires last harvest. Uh, tell me about how that affected you and how you sort of how you handled it in, in, in the, at the moment. 
Well, um, I mentioned we, we made some rosé from our pinot up on the hill, one of those um, one of those kinds of things. We made a white pinot as well with some of the Pinot Noir that had been tainted to keep just keep it off the skins. And so uh, for the most part, because Pinot Noir is, uh, represents uh, about three of our wines, four of our wines, it impacted us primarily on the Pinot Noir side, not on the white Pinot and the Rosé side. So we had a reduced production because of it. And, um, and other than that, um, our rogue grapes, we have our Baca Noir and Tempranillo out of the Rogue Valley, they came out fine. They came out different, vineyards did different things during the course of the, of the fires. And so we did fine with it. Um, and and Pinot's one of the, we, we make a really nice Pinot, but we sell more big reds. Yeah. So, you know, it's not one that we have to make every year. Um, we got our, our Pinot grapes uh, last year we got some grapes from one of our Pinot suppliers that um, was it's superb. Mm -hmm. It's it's a, as good as 19, or maybe a little better, mm -hmm. in terms of how the grapes came out. And his hillside, um, open at the top and open at the bottom on the hill, out towards Carlton, to where he always has a, a bit of flow, airflow. He didn't have any smoke taint issues. And this is out towards Carlton. And so we were, it was amazing. Um, so that was, that was a blessing for us because we got some great fruit from him. Yeah. From your perspective, I'm, I'm curious, what were the biggest impacts you saw to the industry in Oregon from 2020? How was it impacted and, and how has it adjusted and evolved? Um, I think, I'm not sure about industry, you know, other than I saw, we noticed a lot of grapes being dropped or not picked. Um, what affected us is we do, you know, those large wine events that we couldn't do, actually some of them we haven't done now for two years. Um, we sell a lot of wine at those wine events. Um, and so those impacted us not being able to do, as well to as do special five events. of them. And special events, yeah, canceling all those weddings and parties and stuff yeah, really affected the- quite a bit the, of impact. But the industry as a whole, it was rode through a lot of helping uh, folks, helping other folks. We made more wine than we wanted to make because there was grapes available, you know. So it was like, well, we'll tr try and help you out. So we did some of that. But the issue of um, having staff available, that's been. Uh, that was tough to have to not have our staff working too. Yeah which I'm sure everybody else had that same issue. Yeah, not having them work. And now we can't find staff. That's another, <laughs> yeah. that's another story. But the fires of 2020 is also, you know, we're working on getting a generator so that our well that's 650 feet deep, we can keep it running if, if we do lose power. Mm -hmm. um, we, we're hit on this hill with, a, with that power issue that occurred with the February, this last February uh, storm. And so for living in the trees, we got to worry about fire and such. So we put metal roof on the building and we'll, we've got an exterior sprinkler system going in that will help take care of the building from the outside, all that kind of stuff. 
living, living and learning, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every day, it's yeah. another, right. another thing. Yeah. So since you've been a part of the Oregon wine industry, or since I guess since your sort of first impressions of Oregon wine, what, what are the biggest changes you've seen in, in the industry? What's different now uh, about what, than when you came into the industry? Number of wineries doubled. Yeah. <laughs> we were part of that. It was interesting to and observe. And more, more wineries doing big reds in the area now that yeah. weren't in the past. But then the recognition of fantastic wines from the, from the big winemakers, um, supporting international competitions, right? That's been fantastic. Um, and tourism. I don't know how that's going to be going forward, but um, hopefully it, it is, it's maintained. Um, so I think that's that's something we observed was the the growth of um, some of the larger uh, wineries helping to spin off the the whole economy of, of winemaking because it's good for us to have other have others making red big reds and it's good for us having um, the big big guys and, and little guys um, entering competitions and and taking home the gold you know so that's a good thing And yeah, we noticed. I think we went to a, one a, a year and a half ago at one of the expositions. We went to uh, wine learnings in Portland. I can't remember the name of that. The wine uh, symposium. Wine symposium, and one of the speakers was showing uh, some of the graphs of of production in the United States, and Oregon was the only one on the that positive growing. side, growing, and it was it was phenomenal. We saw the, uh, the decline in California, and, and just about all the other states had some level or, or decline. So that was fun to see. And I think there was true spin-off of some of the notoriety that came from some of the big competitions. <clears throat> so what about as you look ahead for Oregon? What, what is the industry going to look like in the coming years? What are the changes you're excited for? And, and is there anything you're concerned about? Hmm. I don't know. I My concern is um, around the the reaction to um, Portland as a as a center of the state, mm -hmm. and um, and what it might do as it relates to whether or not folks fly into the area, because mm -hmm. we always get referred to as being in the Portland area, uh, even out here, mm -hmm. and um, there is such a huge um, need for for um, having a, a, a positive um, a draw from going to Portland. It's been, for the last 10 years or 20 years, it's been a foodie, uh, beer, wine, um, whiskey, whatever is <clears throat> popular at the time. It's been a magnet, and I see that has changed. Um, and I'm worried that, that that's a concern. Um, I think growth out here, it feels like the, we've, we've talked about the, the, um, the growth is now a little more maturing of those that are in already kind of working their models and exp either expanding their businesses or, or and how they're marketing internationally or worldwide or U.S. 
so there's a maturing that's coming. Now you could say that a lot of them have already matured and maybe they're going through a second phase of maturity, I imagine. Well, what about for you? What, what, what's, what's next for you? What, is the, what are your sort of hopes for the future here? And, and what are anything, anything exciting on the horizon in terms of projects or, or uh, varietals here? Um, we've done pretty much all the projects that I can think of. It's okay. been a three-year process. We're doing another one. Yeah, <laughs> We're it's been a three-year process of all these different projects, and so okay, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm always the project guy. Yeah, he's so the project we're guy. We're going to do a uh, White's Room. We're doing an expansion to create well, a yeah, specific... To the winery. To the yeah. winery, a White's Room. Not to the tasting room. I know, but that's yeah. part of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's always <laughs> this. We work well together that way. Um, as an organic growth model, um, you know, you have to decide when you're going to pull the trigger on something, and that's what we've been doing. It's kind of fun, because you got to stay ahead. Um, for the big reds a couple of years, two or three years ahead. But we're looking out five years. So different varietals, working with one vineyard um, owner who's, who we're talking to, planting specific varietals for us mm -hmm. that we can target. Because we'd love to have, have uh, an offering of, of, of a wine that nobody else has, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Don't have to, but it'd be fun. So we've been trying to as part of our growth, continue to offer something unique and different. And so we'll continue with that. I think. Does that sound right? Yeah, sounds great. Well, <laughs> that actually leads me to my next question because you mentioned working, working well together. I'm curious about, about uh, successful marriage when you're, when you're also business owners together and running this yeah. kind of operation. Tell me about how you've made it work and, and what your kind of uh, tips are for others who might want to try it. Um, so I'll answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> this is part um, of the tip. Yeah. Let yeah, her answer yeah, sometimes. <laughs> um, we talking. do really well at each doing our own thing. I mean, I have things that I do during the winemaking process. Dennis has things that he does. The same with the tasting room and kind of just the way we run the business. Um, and it works well that way, but we always collaborate on anything we're gonna do. And then we do our own, you know, we have jobs to do. And then do. I just say yes and she does yeah, what she wants. and that's want. true too, that's a good thing. Um, but that's kind of the process and it works yeah. well. I think that works does, great yeah. to, to kind of know what my job is and what Dennis's job is. And it's been successful because we've got a successful tasting room, a great wine club. We make great wines and people seem to love us and our staff, which has been very successful. We, we started, I agree with you 100%, we started it as a, a hobby to do together. And that was intentional. And we, and we started it with another gentleman, a friend of ours, who we still interact with and, and work together with. And um, it's, just a, it's just fun, absolutely fun. Yeah, we really enjoy what we're doing. Yeah, and all the people that we get to meet, um, so, and mutual friends. So we've got lots of good friends, new friends. When you live out in the country, you know, it's you're you're kind of we're out in the sticks, <laughs> literally, <laughs> and uh, and so having um, relationships where you can go have dinner with somebody and all that is important. Um, we raised two children living out here, um, both of which were engaged in the, in the 
in the winery and in the tasting room. It's fascinating. Um, so that's been fun as well. Um, right? <laughs> My first wife right here. <laughs> she hates that. When you talk about the, the roles that you have, I'm curious, was that something that you went into with an idea of what you're going to do, or is that something that sort of evolved as the business has evolved, what each of your roles is going to be? It pretty much evolved, yeah, it I evolved. think. Yeah. It evolved. I mean, I, I always knew that I was going to be mostly the part of the tasting room. Mm -hmm. Dennis also has another business, too, so, you know, yeah. doing, but, but our job titles have always, you know, what we've done have always been kind of evolved, mm -hmm. that he does this better and I do this better. Boss um, and janitor. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's worked out really well. Yeah. yeah. The winemaking, you know, when we started, we were <clears throat> crushing the grapes with a little, you know, hand crusher. We had yeah. a hand crank crusher. Yeah. And, you know, that's how you start. And, and the press was a little squeezy press, a little and so basket we, press. Basket press. And, and so we got our hands dirty, mm -hmm. did a lot of reading, and worked on the stuff and migrated towards what we liked to do, right? Mm -hmm. And strengths and weaknesses and did, did what we felt we're, we're comfortable with. And, but we both could back each other up with anything, which is a kind of important for us, I think, except, yeah. except some things. Well, you mentioned also your, your children being involved in the business, and I'm curious, as you look ahead, is this, is this is the hope this being a multi-generational project? You know, I don't know whether our daughters will, I mean, probably. But when they watch this, they'll say, hmm, Dad, why didn't you say yeah. absolutely? Yeah. Well, we, don't, we haven't even got there yet. So. I could see them, you know, doing the tasting room, whether they do the winemaking or not. Mm -hmm. We might, you know, they may want to have a, a winemaker. Um, but for the tasting room, I can see them wanting to keep keep this and keep it going. Yeah. And uh, one of our daughters works here almost full time, so she runs the tasting room, and pretty knows she knows all the facets of running this tasting room. So I'm, I'm sure she would be one that would want to keep keep it going. Well, I'm not going anywhere for a while. No, I'm not either. Yeah. We figure we got another 20 years at it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't know, maybe more. Pretty good for a little hobby you wanted to yeah. start together. Yeah. yeah. Hobby that got out of control. That's what I tell people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's fun. That's actually all the questions that I okay. have for you. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover here that we should have covered? I can't think of any. No. You were pretty thorough. Yeah. Thank You're you very, very much for having us. Well, thank you so thank much you both. for your time today and for your hospitality and showing off this beautiful space. and. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University, with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.